Would you stand up for a moment and just greet each other? Greet those around you and welcome them to Friends Church this morning. Let them know that you're happy to see them. Make sure you get their name if you don't know someone. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. Now I want you to stand back up, and we're going to turn in your Bibles. Now, I have a reason for that. You, you, know, you realize that those cushions, the more they get seated on or sit on, you're going to, you're going to kind of break them in. That's what we're trying to do this morning. So, you know, we'll do this for a little while. Uh, John 14. Ask, uh, ask you to turn with me to John 14 in your Bibles, and we're going to start here. A very familiar passage that Jesus uh, shares uh, with his disciples. Uh, from, uh, I'm reading from the New International Version. John 14, we're going to begin with verse 1 and read through verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, this morning, we are concluding this series that we've entitled Eternity in View. And if you've been with us across uh, these few weeks, our first Sunday together, we, we spent some time looking at the, what the Bible says about what happens when we die. Then we spent a Sunday looking at what Scripture taught us about the place and doctrine of hell. And then last Sunday, we had some fun as we investigated what the scriptures tell us about heaven and what we can expect and what it would be like. But the main task I have as a pastor is to be an under-shepherd. Jesus, of course, is the good shepherd. I am under him. But I take my charge very seriously that my job is to try to make sure that everyone in our fold makes it to his or her destination. It is my deepest desire that everyone in our church who hears my voice is prepared for eternity. And the honest truth is, as I look around in our culture, I see more and more people falling away from the church and falling away from faith. But I also see in the church themselves, the, the churches you'll see that, that there are a lot of lost people in the church, people who don't know Jesus People who really will not claim Jesus as their Savior. So this morning, I want us to have a rather simple discussion about how do we get to heaven. And so I want to begin this morning by asking a very simple question. Which of God's commandments are the most difficult for you to obey? Is it do not lie? I mean, after all, kind of twisting the truth to get out of a difficult situation 
is, is always a temptation. Or maybe you'd say the hardest command to obey in our materialistic culture is do not covet. I mean, when you see your friends doing so well materially, when they have status that you'd like to have yourself, it's easy, uh, uh, it's hard not to be jealous of them. Some of you might single out the New Testament admonition not to lust as the most difficult to follow, especially in our society as we're inundated with images designed to elicit exactly that response. Or what about Philippians 2.14 that says, don't complain about anything. Some Christians see complaining as their spiritual gift, I think. Uh, but that's what the scripture says. I think one of the hardest commands to obey is maybe the one we've just read. Did you hear Jesus say this? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> I mean, there are so many things that we can be troubled about. I'm troubled about the string of mass shootings. Our inability to still deal with racism, nationalism, and the onslaught of secularism in our society. I'm troubled. Our current political atmosphere troubles me greatly. I find myself troubled when I think about the way we're treating immigrants and the language used about certain races of people. It, it troubles me sometimes how sometimes we as Christians wrap up our faith with a perceived political persuasion. And let me tell you, sometimes that's not the same thing. The time bomb of a national debt that no one seems to be concerned about troubles me. And of course, there are the personal issues we can be troubled about. Financial pressures at home. Family struggles of children or grandchildren, health concerns can trouble us. I, I confess that I'm often tempted to worry. This construction project that we're involved in has been fodder for me to, to play the what-if game. What if the congregation hates what we're doing? What if there isn't the funding what if they say the building is beautiful and with a better building, we need a better preacher? <laughs> Whatever the situation is this morning, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And the reason that Jesus could say that is because there is no circumstance that can separate those who follow him from the love of God and the promise of heaven. If you know the promise and you are following him, nothing is so dark, there is no circumstance, there is no situation that is so, so difficult that it will ultimately keep you from experiencing the eternity that he has with you forever. And so Jesus invites us to follow him. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, now for just a moment, I, I want you to think about why we can trust him. Why would anyone be willing to trust Jesus with their entire future? And I just want to go through quickly these reasons. One, Jesus is trustworthy because of his supernatural identity. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God making an appearance on this earth. The Bible affirmed his divine credentials from the moment he arrived. You remember that he was conceived to the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to a son who was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is fully God who became a man that he might show us the way to God. And yet, as a man, Jesus did not sin. He was perfectly moral. He never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, he was tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. As a little boy, he never sassed his mother. As a, as a, as a boy, he, he, he never deceived his father about where he had been. He never cheated in school. As a grown man, he is the only one who kept the commandments perfectly. His record was spotless. He asked his enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? And no one could. If I asked you who could accuse me of sin, you'd be standing in line, and my family would be the first in line to go through the list. But Pontius Pilate, a hostile judge, examined Jesus in court and said, I can find no fault in him. Now, Jesus was also a giant intellect. There was no one who could match his intellectual brilliance. You'll remember that when Jesus was 12 and he was found in the temple, he, he, he amazed and impressed the scholars around him. Yet even as a great teacher, the common people understood him. The uneducated loved to listen to him. One time, temple police were sent to arrest him, but they became so mesmerized by his lesson, they just forgot their mission. And they explained their situation and their inaction by saying, no one ever taught like that. 2,000 years later, his words still stimulate our thinking. His words still challenge our behavior. And so we see that Jesus can be trusted. He can be trusted because of his miracles, the miraculous power. John 14, 11 says, Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of my miracles. Only Jesus could heal the sick. The, make the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the demons flee, and even the dead to rise from the grave. In fact, one politician of Jesus' day came to him and admitted, Jesus, we know that you are from God, for no one can do the miracles except these miracles that you do, except that they come from God. Jesus is worthy then of our trust. He's worthy of our trust because of his sacrificial death. Jesus made it clear that when he went to the cross that it was not because they put him there. No, it was his decision. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. He said, I give my life as a ransom for many. He didn't die then as a sad victim of some great injustice. He died as a deliberate substitute for your sin. He said, Isaiah prophesied, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took my sin and put it on Jesus Christ on the cross. Imagine what that means. Imagine, imagine you were three months behind in your house payments. You get a call from the banker. He calls you up and says, I want to talk to you. 
It terrifies you. You sit there before him, trembling, anticipating eviction. There you sit. You're helpless. You're about to be homeless. But then the banker comes in and he says, listen, I've got great news. You've got a generous relative who has sent us a large check and he's paid off your entire house. It's yours. Here's the deed. Congratulations. Well, you'd be elated and you'd be forever grateful. The Bible teaches that we have a huge debt of sin that we can't possibly pay. Each of us were subject to eviction from God's house. But but God came through Jesus Christ and he paid off the entire debt for us by dying in our place on the cross. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so, my friends, this morning, he merits your total trust because he sacrificed his son and his life for you. Listen, no one has ever cared for you like Jesus. But there's more. Jesus predicted his own resurrection, and then after he died, he walked out of his tomb. He said to the religious leaders, you destroy this temple, referring to his own body, and in three days, I'll raise it again. And on the third day after he died, guess what? He walked out of that tomb, and there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now listen, if a man can predict his resurrection and indeed conquers the grave, can you not have confidence that he's able to handle whatever trouble you find yourself in? Now, there's one more thing I want you to think about, why we can trust him. Jesus is worthy of our trust because of his present position. The Bible teaches in Romans, for instance, 8.24, it says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, think about that. The Bible teaches this morning that Jesus ascended into heaven and is now praying for you. He's negotiating on your behalf. Satan stands there accusing you, and Jesus constantly is reminding, no, that debt has been paid. That sin has been paid for. He's going before the Father. They are free. There is no accusation that can be brought against you. We then have every reason to not let our hearts be troubled, even about an uncertain future. King David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. My mother-in-law has this message on her refrigerator. I like it. It says, Lord, help me to remember that there is nothing that's going to happen to me today that we can't handle together. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me and put your hope in heaven. Listen to what he said. He said to his disciples, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now in scripture, you got to think, there are a lot of metaphors related to heaven We might call it the kingdom of God. We see it as the marriage supper, the wedding feast, a holy city. But I think one of the metaphors I like the most is when Jesus calls it my father's house. 
If someone says to you, you know, after service today, we're going to get together and go to my dad's house. What's that feel like? What do you think about? If you came from a good home, that communicates, hey, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a place of security, of love, laughter, acceptance, football, encouragement, food, all kinds of things. Those, those are the values that, that Jesus is communicating. Jesus called heaven my father's house. That, that communicates to most of us a place of joy and fulfillment of rest and hope. Now, of course, in our society, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, maybe you hear that differently. But let's think about that. The Father's house, as Jesus defines it, then should conjure up an image of a place where you're going to experience all of those wonderful values for the very first time to a new degree, to an nth degree. And then Jesus said this. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. There's plenty of room. I, I told you last week we dropped, off, uh, we dropped off our son Micah at Asbury in Wilmore, Kentucky for his freshman year at college. We now have three sons in college. So the house we knew was going to be a, a bit empty. Well, earlier this summer, we decided to host a foreign exchange student this fall just to fill up the house. And so on Tuesday night, we picked him up from the airport and uh, he's with us uh, now, although I think he's not in this service. He'll probably be in the next service. But uh, his name is Juan Pablo, and he is from the nation of Colombia. Uh, we decided we had the room. Why not do that? And I'll tell you, he's already feeling like part of our family. He was here uh, Tuesday night about midnight. I got him up early on Wednesday to help move these chairs in. And... Uh, <laughs> He's going to do the uh, lawn, or going to help me mow the lawn tomorrow. Uh, so he's part of the family. That's part of what's going on. I hope you're going to make him feel like he's at home here in North Homestead Friends Church. Because there's always room for more. There is room in God's house for you. No matter what you've done. God beckons you. He calls to you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you realize how personal that is? He loves you. Jesus wants to prepare a place for you. One of the reasons I believe that God delays his second coming is he is hoping that one more person might say yes to his gift. Jesus made this promise, and you can totally depend on it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus wants you to be with him in heaven. There's no doubt about that. But he also makes it perfectly clear in this passage that there's only one way to heaven, and that was through him did you notice that? Jesus said to his disciples, you know the place to where I am going. And Thomas heard that and he said, wait a second, Lord, I'm not so sure. And he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus answered, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he said, well, Jesus is being exclusive. And I would tell you, you're right. He offers us one way to heaven. 
And of course, in our modern day, we think, well, that just doesn't seem right. Aren't there many ways? And I suspect that, that, that it would seem wrong if he had not so clearly demonstrated that he was the way. Think about it. If he had given us two ways, we would have demanded three. If Jesus had given us ten ways, we would have said, well, why not a hundred? Instead, he made it very clear. He made it absolutely clear how it is that we can get to heaven. Jesus said, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And so Jesus says to us this morning, I am the way, very clearly, follow me. I am the narrow gate, enter through me. Now this morning I want to take you through what is very, very simple. This is something you may have heard since you were a wee tot in Sunday school. But I want to make this very clear. Because eternity is at stake. Going to heaven is so simple. God has made it as simple as A, B, C, D. I like to think of it this way. First, we admit Admit that you have sinned and that you have separated yourself from God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, your chance of making it to heaven on your own goodness is equal to the chance of trying to go from swim from California to Hawaii on your own strength. It's just not going to happen. There's no way you'll make it. We have no way all by ourselves. Yet Romans 3.20 says, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become a conscious of sin. We are aware that we are sinners. So we humbly admit, I am a sinner. I am not deserving of heaven. There's no way I'll get there on my own. I need Christ. I need forgiveness. So then we believe We believe that God has provided a way through Jesus Christ. And we believe he is our personal savior. Again, I go back to that sweet verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should never perish, but have everlasting life. To believe is more than a mental assent, a mental agreement that Jesus is God's son. It's putting your faith in the death of Jesus and what he accomplished for you to forgive you rather than trust in your own works to get to heaven. So we admit, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is my savior. And then thirdly, confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus died on a cross. And and think about that. He faced public humiliation. He asks us to unashamedly confess our decision to follow him. When, when, When you got married... You stand there publicly in front of people declaring your love and repeating vows that you will love and honor your mate until death separates you. Listen, if your heart is right, you're willing to do that even if it makes you tense and uncomfortable. This morning, in a sense, we're calling you to help us with the parade, to join up publicly and say, we're with 
Jesus, and we're not ashamed of that. Baptism is a natural opportunity to do exactly that. That's why we baptized uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and we still offer that. If you'd like to be baptized, we'll figure out a way to do it here, right here in the gymnasium if we need to. It's a public way to say, I'm with him. I confess that he is my Lord. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10. So we admit we're a sinner. We believe in Jesus as our Savior. We confess him publicly as your Lord. And then fourthly, we demonstrate your allegiance to Christ by repenting of sin and living out your faith. When we begin this process of, of, of trusting in Christ, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit begins to take residence in our life. And when the Holy Spirit begins to take residence, he begins to change us. He makes us more like Jesus. He begins to, to in, inhabit our being, and, and he allows us to make better decisions and allows us to be more in the image and character of Christ. And so we strive under the power of God's Spirit to, to love others more. The Bible calls this the fruit of the Spirit, and it begins to be demonstrated in our life. And you remember what that looks like. It's love and joy and peace and kind, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We begin to, to look more and more like Jesus. Let me tell you, or let me ask you this morning, have you made that determination? Are you sure? that you belong to him. Jesus makes it so very simple. He makes it so very clear. And I could not preach through this series without offering a very simple uh, uh, formula for us to understand how we come to Christ. I've been uh, talking with several people over the last few weeks and giving counsel to one, one gentleman who's going through a difficult time. I asked him the other night, I said, sir, as he's... Uh, struggling with, with addiction and, and facing difficult family issues. I said, a year from now, what story are we going to tell about your life? And I asked him to write out that story. And I want to ask you a very similar question. What is the story that they are going to tell about your story when your life is over? Is the story going to be that Jesus Christ was my Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pause before you right now, and I ask that you, that you have your way here. Lord, I have intentionally made this so very simple. I don't want anyone to miss it. Lord, we are called to follow you. My friend, this morning, if God is speaking to your heart, I invite you to, to join me in this very simple prayer. A prayer that we would call salvation. This is not the end. It is the beginning of a relationship with Christ. It is the beginning of, a, of walking with him. And I ask you to just join me in this prayer. Father, I admit to you that I am a sinner and I desperately need a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. I believe with all my heart 
that Jesus Christ came to be my personal Savior, that he died on the cross for my sin. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being raised again, and I can follow you into eternal life. Lord, I confess, therefore, that I intend to make Jesus Christ my Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit into my life, that I might, that I might be different, that I might follow you, that I wouldn't become a religious person, but that instead, Lord, I would just know your love and I would be more like you in character. That the image of Jesus would be demonstrated through me. That I would be more patient. That I would be kinder. That you would give me a gentleness. That you would make me faithful in my relationships. That you'd give me self-control in those areas, Lord, where I struggle. That, Lord, I would be known as a loving, gentle, sweet person who looks more and more and reminds others of Jesus Christ. So that, Lord, at the end of my story, when they tell my story, that story will point to you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. But he brought me in Oh, his love for me Oh, his love for me Who the sun sets free Oh, it's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I ransom His grace runs deep While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me Yes, He died for me Who the Son sets free Always free Say it. I am who you say I 
I know it is in the preaching that, that someone may step into eternity forever and say and, and be welcomed. And you know the Bible says it very clearly that when one sinner repents, there's there there's a party in heaven. All the angels rejoice. And so I suspect that if someone this morning has said yes, there's a glorious, glorious celebration going on. And we ought to share in that celebration. I'm going to ask you this. If you were praying that prayer with me and you meant it sincerely, I'd ask you to let me know. Would you just say, hey, pastor, as, as you're going out or send me a text or call me this week and say, pastor, I, I, I prayed that prayer. I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I am sure that I am a child of God, that there's a place for me in heaven and that is secure forever and ever and nothing 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 can separate me from the love of god for those of us who have known that truth continue to glory in it continue to to, to dwell in that continue to to shine that grace uh, in all that you do this week may god be with you and give you his grace through the power of his holy spirit father i thank you for this sweet group i thank you for lord what you're doing in our church and I pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless us, that, Lord, we will sense that you are on the move, that you will continue to expand your kingdom, that, Lord, there's plenty of room for you, others, to come and, and be a part. Lord, may we be a church that has your heart. I pray this all in your holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you.